Okay, the reading is from Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Alrighty. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? We're good? It's good to, um, to be here this morning. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Joel, and uh, yeah, it's my privilege to um, lead us this morning as we explore God's Word together. And I guess over the next couple of weeks, we're looking at this theme over Easter of the supremacy of Christ. And and um, I know I I'm mindful of the the pains and the struggles and the different things going on in our lives, and how much more so we need to recognize that actually that God is supreme above all that. That He's Far above all other powers, rulers, and authorities. Is this sounding funny? Is that better? I'll switch to the other one. All right, easy done. How are we doing? <laughs> so, we need to see that one mic is better than the other, so God is bigger and better than all the other things in our lives. That's the lesson from that. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> done. No, so we want to see over the next couple of weeks that God is indeed supreme and that therefore we can trust him, we can um, turn to him in every situation and also in that, that we can then walk in a way that's different to the world around us because we believe in someone that's far greater and better than anything else there is. So that's what we want to look at this morning and we're, um, we're going to go through these verses in Colossians but firstly it's important to understand a little bit of the context um, Paul's writing this letter from prison. He's writing to a church that most likely he's never been to. So he's these people that he sort of feels some responsibility for because um, 
most likely Epaphras, the guy who started the church who we read about. Um, he was a convert. Maybe Paul knew him, felt responsibility for him. So Paul writes this letter to the Colossians. And it's almost like this church was sort of susceptible to some heretical attack and sort of some theological misguiding. Um, maybe because Paul hadn't been there or any of the other apostles. Um, and throughout the letter, there's this reference to what most scholars call the philosophy. So in chapter 2, verse 8, it talks about it. And in other, other verses, it talks about this philosophy that the church was sort of getting, I guess, tempted to these other ideas, other worldviews, other religions around them. And particularly, they were all about shutting off from the world and escaping this world and sort of going to spiritual things. That the, earth, the world was bad, uh, heavenly spiritual things were good, and it talks about you know, that they wouldn't eat certain things, they wouldn't do certain things, that they would worship angels and stuff, and sort of separating this whole thing of earth is really bad, heaven, spiritual things, really good. And Paul sort of writes into that, and you notice a lot of his language, you know, talks about Jesus actually coming to earth, being a man, all of sort of, you know, um, all of the um, fullness of God actually dwelling within him, and that actually trying to redeem some of this stuff and and going to links to show that you know what Jesus is is far greater than these other ideas around these other religions and warning them not to sort of follow these things but also not to accommodate these things I think so often what was happening is and what happens with us is we say those things are bad but we actually sort of let them creep in a little bit too the other ideas in our world the other ideas the other ways of life that we let them creep in but instead, if we believe that Jesus is supreme, that he's far greater, then that should cho- totally change the way that we live our lives and it, they should be different to the world around us. So we're going to work through these verses and, um, and see what Paul has to say with us. So starting off in verse 4 and 5, um, after his initial greeting, Paul says, Since we heard you have of the love that you have for all the saints and the faith you have in Christ Jesus because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You know, last week, if you were here, Reuben Caper was here and he, he talked to us about having an eternal perspective, having a, our eyes fixed um, ahead to having perfect unity in Jesus. And, and that's something that we press onto. That's something we strain towards and we forget what lies behind. And, and what Paul was saying here is the, the exact same. He says, because of the hope that you have, because of the hope of heaven, therefore you have faith in Jesus Christ and a love for the saints. So saying, Paul was saying, because of the hope that you have, that is developed within them, faith and love. And, and we need to be mindful of what hope means in this context. Hope is an expectation of what is sure. That was the definition when I looked it up, the word. Hope is an expectation of what is sure. It isn't wishful thinking. It's not like, oh, maybe one day this will happen, like I hope, you know, maybe. No, it's an expectation. It's an assurance and a confidence that this is definitely happening. And that's the hope that this church had in what was coming ahead. That's the hope they had in heaven, that they were assured, they were expecting it, they were confident in it. And because of that, they then had faith in Jesus. They believed that Jesus was going to come back and he was going to judge and he was going to make all things new. 
And so they were able to trust Jesus in the short term because of what they believed in the long term. That was what what Paul says. We've heard about your faith because of your hope in heaven. But they also had love for all the saints. They shared love together because they knew what was coming. They knew the challenges and the trials that were going to come, but they also knew the joy and the celebration to come. And so, you know, we love each other because we know, like, we know what's coming ahead. And so we support each other, we keep each other accountable, we keep pushing each other on because we know of heaven coming. And, I mean, the way I look at it, you know, have a look around. We're spending eternity with each other. We may as well start learning to love each other now, you know. We've got a long time to sort of spend together. So when we gain more of this heavenly perspective, then we actually grow in faith and love. That's what Paul praises the church about, that they have this hope in heaven and it's developed within them faith and love. And I think we also need to recognize that I think more a lot, the, the opposite is true. That the more we focus on earth, the more it develops the opposite of these things. It develops independence and isolation and you know, unfaithfulness and being selfish. The more we focus on the things around us. And so I remember one of my lecturers, and this is one of the quotes I have on my wall, it says, define your life forwards and live it backwards. When you think about any context in life, it's what we do. We define our life forwards and then we live it backwards. We have this goal of this is what I want to do, this is what I want to become, this is where I want to go, and then we make choices backwards from there and say, okay, therefore, right now, this is what I need to do. And it's the same within faith, that we define our life forwards and we live it backwards. We define, you know what, the end goal is here. The end goal, like I heard last week, is perfect unity with Jesus in heaven with the saints. So if that's the end goal, then we need to live that backwards and make some choices and make some decisions. Therefore, now, this is what I do with that end goal in mind. So all of a sudden, we have this eternal perspective. We focus on, okay, what's important in heaven? What's valued in heaven? What is, what is of worth in heaven? And if defining those things and then deciding, okay, well then, therefore, this is how we live now. I mean, if you've got your Bibles open, just look back one page to Philippians 3, which we read last week. Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8, it says this. Paul's writing, it says, Whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And then in verse 13, I do not consider that I have made it my, on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the upward call of Christ. Paul says it three times. I count everything else as loss. Nothing else matters because in the end, all that matters is me knowing Christ. And so that's what I press on to. That's what I hold important. And that's what we do. Forgetting all that lies behind for the sake and the joy of knowing Christ. I pray that would be us that what's valued in heaven, let's live for that. Let's put those things first. In the end, firstly God and then people. They're the only eternal things that you'll find in this world. And so may that be 
what we focus on here on earth. And as we have our hope in that, as we have our hope that God will save us, redeem us and carry us home, that that would transform our love and our faith here, that the long term would interact and change the short term. And so how do we know this hope in heaven? How do we know what that looks like and how do we get to know it more? Well, Paul leads us in verse 6 and 7 to focus on the gospel. In verse 5, because of the hope that you have had, and of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed it has come in the whole world, and it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does also among you since the day you heard it and the day you understood the grace of God. So Paul's writing says the gospel it's increasing and it's bearing fruit. It's growing. It's achieving what it's set out to achieve. And I, I think we need to be reminded of that and actually believe that and trust that. You know what? God and the gospel, his message is going out and changing lives. And sometimes we don't always see it here. And that's what Paul says. You know, look at the whole world. And when you look at the context of the whole world, there are some places where the gospel is rapidly advancing. In, in Asia and Africa and South America. You know, praise God, like, we, like Luke and Agnes, you know, going back to Uganda and seeing people, like, I love that, you know, they're seeing people saved. They're seeing young people actually, like, really give their lives to God and, and totally changing. And, you know, I've been there and I've seen it, and it, like, it's amazing because I think so often we get discouraged by our little sphere of life and not seeing things happen. And Paul's saying, you know, look at the whole world. Like, look broader, look beyond and see that actually, you know what? God is working. But he also says it's not just working in the whole world. It's bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Paul praises the Colossian church because the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. And I guess my question for us is, would he do the same for us? If Paul wrote us a letter, would it say the same thing? that the gospel is bearing fruit and advancing all over the world and also among you. Obviously, you know, we're not responsible for the outcome and for the, for the growth of the gospel. But we are called and responsible for sharing it. And we need, to, we need to actually look at ourselves and go, you know, are we seeing new believers? Are we seeing new people come to Christ? You know, we, we're running great programs. We're doing a lot of awesome things, connecting with a lot of people. But I really feel convicted that actually, you know what, we need to get better at sharing the gospel and trusting that the gospel will change people and save people. You know, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. You know, I'm sure you've all heard that before. It's a great statement, but in the end, actually, people do need to hear the gospel to be saved. And so we do need to share it. In Romans 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to save. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to save. Like that is the power. Not our method, not on our programs, not anything like that. You know, the method doesn't have the power, the message does. And so we need to get better at sharing the message with all that we come across. The message of a supreme king, Jesus Christ, that, you know, he's worth sharing because he's far above all other things if we truly believe that and we truly live that and enjoy that then it becomes natural to share that
And so for the key for Paul is that for this church, the Colossian church, the gospel was bearing fruit and increasing because they had heard it and understood the grace of God. They had heard the gospel and they had understood the grace of God. You know, so often we hear the gospel story and we go, okay, yeah, it's good. And I've heard that before. You know, coming up to Easter next week, I'm sure many of us have been around church on Easter and we've heard the messages. We've heard, yeah, I've heard that all before. Let's get on to more complex things or that's just for the new people or for the people who don't know yet. Like, and we sort of say, that's just for them. And we switch off. But I want to really challenge us this year that actually, you know what? We are called to hear the gospel and to understand it. To understand God's grace. God's grace is not just something we hear once and then we move on from. God's grace is not something that, you know, we just, okay, I've heard it, I've got it, tick the box, let's go on to level two. No, God's grace, like we need to constantly remind ourselves of it because we naturally drift away from it. With our sinful nature and our broken world, we naturally drift away and, and go towards works and go towards religion and go towards trying to earn things ourselves. Yet grace is all about what God has done for us, not what we've done for Him. And so we need to constantly remind ourselves of this. We're naturally inclined to autonomy and independence, and we need to come constantly come back to the gospel, that we're saved not by our own works, but by God through faith. You know, someone put it this way, that they, we never graduate from the gospel. You never graduate from it. You never move on from it. We always need to hear it, and we always need to try more to understand it, because in the end, God's love and God's grace is like, you know, that song we sang at the start, His love is like the wildest ocean. Like, it goes on and on. Like, we can never get to the bottom. We can never get to the end. We can always know more. We can always understand more. So may we be eager over these next few weeks, particularly leading up to Easter, may we be actually eager to know more of God's love and God's grace, to know more of the gospel. As simple as it is, we can always know it more. I think that's my encouragement for us, that we'd be a church that, that grows deeper into it and then a church that shares it as well with each other and with those who don't yet believe. And may we see the gospel bear fruit and increase for it is the power of God to save. And then first, verse 9 to 10, Paul sort of changes track a little bit. And he has this prayer for the church that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with, filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Basically, he says, my prayer is that you would know how to live for God. But then in verse 10, he gives the reason why. So that they would actually do it. So that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I mean, how often do we, you know, for us Christians, been in church for a long time, we, like, we know what to do. We've got the understanding, we've got the knowledge, we know the verses, but Paul says, like, I want you to be filled with this knowledge so that you'd actually do it. Now, Jesus says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. We need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy? I remember when I was in, um, when I was in high school. This is um, a little bit back now. But um, 
I was a pretty smart kid, all right? I was pretty smart at school. I mean, there's no way to say that, like, in a good way. But anyway, I'll just say it. So I was pretty smart, but I was super lazy, all right? I was super lazy. So I cruised through the first few years of school. And then come year 11, it all started to catch up with me. My grades went down a bit. Um, all of a sudden, I was a bit behind. I was like, we're moving on to concepts that I hadn't grasped and stuff. And, and so, yeah, I was smart, super lazy. And then at the end of then end, end of that year, before Year 12 started, we, we went to Africa for the first time. I remember being super challenged because here I am living with such privilege, with an opportunity to get a good education, with the potential to get a high score and get into pretty much any degree I wanted to. And here I am just cruising through. It doesn't really matter. Like, whatever. I'm just going to have fun. And I was really challenged that actually, you know what, I wasn't walking in a manner worthy of the opportunity or the gift or the ability I'd received. I wasn't, you know, I'd been given this opportunity, I'd been given such ability, but I wasn't walking in a manner worthy of that. I wasn't actually responding to that how I should. And um, if you don't believe me, I've got the report cards to prove it. I had enough lectures from my parents to drum it into me (laughs) that you need to do better because you've received much, so much should be given. So when we look at Jesus and we consider his supremacy over the next few weeks, when we see how great and powerful and loving he is, we look at what he's done for us. Like, we need to, Do we walk in a manner worthy of that? Does our life reflect the love and the grace that we've received? How amazing and how great it is. So what does it look like? Here in Colossians, Paul gives us two hints. Um, this is a phrase he uses often throughout his letters, walk in a manner worthy. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says it, and the context there is about love and unity within the church. But here, Paul focuses on two things. That we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, and then two things, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we need to ask ourselves, are we bearing fruit in every good work? Is the fruit of good works growing in your life? You know, I was challenged by this. Because for me, okay, sure, I do good things. I'm a nice person. I, you know, whatever. But I was like, has it actually grown? Like, I look at my life and I go, the same things I was doing three years ago, like the good works that I started three, four, five years ago, I'm just doing the same things as I did then. It's not actually growing within me. It's not actually this sense of like I am, you know, improving and and growing and getting better with that. This language of bearing fruit in every good work, it implies the sense of growing and developing. So we need to ask ourselves, are we growing in good works? Because we should be, if we're doing the second thing, if we're increasing in the knowledge of God, then we should be growing in our fruit. Are we growing in our knowledge of God? Are we wrestling? You know, for those of you who had Generate last week, we talked about wrestling with our doubts and our questions. Are we actually using those things to dive deeper into the knowledge of God? Are we getting stuck into His Word, discovering more of who He is? You know, we'll never fully understand God, which means we can always understand more of God. Rather than seeing that as a negative thing, what if we saw it as a positive thing? You know, we're never going to fully understand God. 
it's a reality. Creatures will never understand fully the Creator. And that can be sometimes a bit of a freak-out thing, like, oh my gosh, that's, I can't handle that. I want to know everything. I want to... But what if we saw the opposite, that actually it's a positive thing, that, you know what, our God is so great, so magnificent, so amazing, that we can always learn more. We can always dive deeper. We can always step further. And that that would actually be like this sense of a, like a beautiful like adventure, that there's this mystery and yet still there's this discovery. We've never fully arrived. We're always growing, moving forward. I pray that would be us, that we're always increasing in our knowledge of God. We're always going deeper. And that would be a sense of adventure in that, a sense of beauty within that, that the mystery and the discovery would always keep you know, intercepting each other. In this, we need to remember that when Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you received, just remember that it's a, that it's a calling already, that worthy of the Lord, that it's not, a, it's not a, a, a trying to earn something. It's not trying to earn a status or a position, but it's a response to grace. J.I. Packer says it this way, the king... He wants his royal children to live lives worthy of their paternity and position. It's no part of justifying faith. Saying we're already being justified. We've already been, you know, welcomed in as his children, adopted, called home. So the king wants his royal children to live lives worthy of their paternity and their position. I just pray that would be us. That recognizing we are royal children called by a supreme king and we're going to live lives worthy of that. That is a position we have already been given, we already received, and a position that's not going to be taken out of our hands. Like, once you're grasped by God, nothing can take you out of there. And remembering that we're not looking for perfection, we're looking for progress. Reuben said this last week, almost in passing in his sermon, that we're not looking for perfection when we're looking for progress and I think this has to be the heart of it we're not looking for perfect people although a perfect king require you know sort of you know be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect you know Jesus does say that and it's something we sort of like we always should be moving towards but I think the heart of it is that we're actually looking not for perfect people but for progressing people for growing people, for, for moving people. People who, you know what, I've taken a few steps forward and I've taken one back. And I've taken five steps forward and I've taken another four back. And it's frustrating, but you know what, you can look at their lives and you can see the direction is going up, even if they take a few steps back. Like we need, a, are we actually growing in our faith? Are we actually growing in the way that we respond to what God has done? Which direction is the line moving, regardless of where the steps are going? That we are called to be growing, becoming mature disciples, you know, more and more, moving people. It's not just something that we do, it's something that we are, that we are moving to follow Christ more and more. Because in the end, Paul's concern is always long term. Look at verse 11, he says, May you be strengthened with endurance and patience with joy, according to his glorious might. 
you know, Paul is looking for endurance and patience for his people because he knows that it's a long road. Discipleship is a long road. And like Jesus says, you know, he wants fruit and fruit that will last. Lasting fruit is the goal. Patience and endurance is what we need. And think back to the parable of the sower in Luke 8. A parable a lot of you are probably familiar with. There's, you know, the sower who comes and he sows the seed. And there's four types of seed. And certain seeds don't grow. The first one doesn't grow because of spiritual attack and the devil snatches it away. The second seed, they believe for a little while, but then testing times, trials and tribulations come. They fall away. The third seed grows, but then is choked by the worries and the pleasures and the riches of the world. And then the fourth seed, the one that does grow, is the one that holds fast and bears fruit with patience. The one that perseveres and endures. You know, seeds two and three, they stop growing because of the tough times and because of the good times. Because of the testing, the trials and tribulations and because of the cares and the riches of the world. And so Paul's prayer, our prayer is that we would actually have patience and endurance to work through those times, to stay strong and hold fast and to cling to Jesus through the good and through the bad, to focus on him in all situations. And that with that, there would be a sense of joy, that we'd have endurance and patience with joy. Now, I don't know how those words work together. If I have to run like more than 10 minutes and it becomes something of endurance, there's no joy within that for me. I'm struggling. I don't know how endurance and patience are mixed with joy. So I decided to look into this word joy. And one of the um, definitions of the original word was this, grace recognized. That one of the definitions of joy is grace recognized. And I thought, that is the heart of it. It's not this sort of fake sense of everything's fine, everything's happy, and I'm just going to smile all the way through while I'm running my marathon and I'm huffing and I'm puffing and my legs are sore. No, it's not just, yeah, everything's A-OK, but it's a sense of recognizing God's grace in the moment. Recognizing what he's done already, recognizing what he's going to do in the future, but also recognizing, you know what, that God's grace is sufficient for us, that God's grace is here and I know it and I believe it, and therefore there's this sense of joy, this sense of deep gladness and hope that God is going to carry us through to the end. So may we have endurance and patience for this long road of discipleship, this long road of faith, and may we do that with a sense of joy. And in that, Paul says that we will give thanks to the Father. And he gives us three reasons to do so, and this is where we're going to wrap up. Three things that Paul says, this is what we give thanks for. We give thanks for these things. Number one, we give thanks because he has qualified us. In verse 12, that he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So we share in the glories and the riches of heaven through no work of our own. He has qualified us. Not we've qualified ourselves. You know, our world is all about our own qualifications. You know, we need to have a qualification so we can prove to people, I know what I'm talking about and I know what I'm doing and 
you know, look at this, I've earned it and I've made my way and now. But the gospel is the complete opposite, that we are qualified of no work of our own. He has qualified us, therefore we give thanks. The second thing Paul says is that he has delivered us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. We are set free from the powers of evil and sin and death. And on Good Friday, we're going to be looking at that. Glenn's going to be speaking about how God is supreme over our sin and death and that we're set free from the domain of darkness. John chapter 1, it says that you know, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That light has shined in the darkness and it has not overcome it. Jesus, the light of the world, supreme, comes in and conquers all darkness, sin and death. And in that, he has delivered us. And so we give thanks. We give thanks because he's not just given us a way out, but he's also given us something to go into, which is the third thing, is that he has transferred us. We are now living in the kingdom of the Son. He has transferred us. As for the soccer boys amongst us, you know, transfer window, transfer market's open. God's busy. He's making trades. And we are now set to a better team. You know, we were in this darkness and God has grabbed us and said, nah, transfer time. You're on my team. You're in the kingdom of the sun. And darkness has no place in there, but we are brought into light. The beloved sun. And why is, why is the sun beloved? Why is that special? Right there in verse 14. Because in him we have redemption, we have the forgiveness of sins. He transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You know, we're going to celebrate and focus on that next week so much more. But I encourage all of us this week to already start pondering that, already start remembering that, and already start giving thanks for that. That we wouldn't just give thanks for the cross at Easter, but we would always have this attitude of gratitude that's growing and developing and that, you know what, we're giving thanks in all situations and all circumstances because God has qualified us, He's delivered us, and He's transferred us. And notice in all those words, they're not future words. They're not maybe one day words. They're past tense already happened. God has qualified us. He has delivered us. He has transferred us. Sure, there is so much more to come. We spoke about it at the start, at heaven. There is a hope. There is so much more to come. But we also need to remember that so much has already been done. And we need to give thanks for that. We need to praise God for that because so much has been done. So we give thanks and we look forward in hope. We pray that the gospel would bear fruit and would increase amongst us and that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of our calling, worthy of the position and the status that we have already received. It's not that one day we become children. It's already we are children of a royal nature, of a supreme king. And may our lives reflect that. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our, um, our band up and we're going to finish by giving thanks. We're going to finish by giving thanks in probably 
One of the greatest songs ever written. I know it's a big call, but I'm sure it's earned that over 500 years. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. And I just want to encourage us that we would use this song just to give thanks to God for what he has done. That we've already been set free. We've already been delivered. Grace is one. Jesus is one. So why don't we stand and, and let's sing.